Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Running on a Monday, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you this afternoon. What is it they say, guys? Is it Philadelphia's for lovers or Pittsburgh's for lovers? One of those things. Virginia. Virginia's for lovers. Right. Okay. If Virginia is for lovers, Mississippi is for winners. This weekend, if you're talking about just sports, statewide in the state of Mississippi, it was a flat-out dominating, just absolute win fest in the state of Mississippi this weekend. We are going to talk about it all today right here on Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross is off, getting a little R&R for a couple days before we get back into hoops, into the stretch run where we will probably have two, maybe even three NCAA tournament teams coming from this state uh, but first, guys, busy weekend for both of you, but at least you got to cover a bunch of wins. A ton of them. Man, it, was, it was really a, you know, like you said, up here at Mississippi State, you're talking about you know SEC championship uh, for the for the ladies, SEC tournament championship. The men going into March, going into the postseason with some momentum. Baseball with another sweep. Uh, so, yeah, good weekend here in Starkville for, uh, for Mississippi State. Yeah, and Ole Miss kind of, I don't want to say saves its season, but really kind of validated everything it did for two months with getting a win at Missouri, finishing 10-8, and eight, essentially locking down a bid. Baseball sweeps UAB, kind of figures out some stuff pitching-wise maybe. Um, but, yeah, four wins in Oxford this weekend as well, or I guess Ole Miss, the, one of them came at Missouri. Yeah, so here's what we are going to try to get to today in three hours. I don't know if we're going to be able to do it, but we are going to try. Mississippi State did a whole bunch of scoring uh, against Texas A&M, gave up, what was it, Haydad, 82 points, but 81, 81 yeah. points, but scored 92, and Lamar Peters, welcome back. It's good to see him playing the way that he did uh, on Saturday. Yeah, he and Eric Holman both, uh, who had been sort of absentees from the Mississippi State uh, box scores in the recent games, both of them had uh, had huge games on Saturday, and that was a big reason why State not only won, but won pretty easily. And Rippy, as you mentioned, I mean, look, it's not official for another six days. We, we already know Mississippi State's an NCAA tournament team. We've known for a couple of weeks now. That win for Ole Miss on Saturday solidified their bid to the tournament, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I'm not sure there's really any scenario that can happen at this point that, that could push them out, and I'm pretty sure that no matter what happens, I think they're safe from going to Dayton for a first four. So a big win that – because, I mean, a loss, and you're talking about a, obviously a completely different scenario. So, yeah, I, I think they're safe. Mississippi State baseball. It, it, I saw Haydad uh, tweeting some flashbacks to the old football days with Sylvester <laughs> Croom, but uh, not the case this weekend. They sweep Maine. 
Yeah, uh, Maine not any good. Let, let's let's get that straight up off the uh, the top. They they have not won a game yet this season, uh, but as they, as been the uh, the you know path this entire season, dominant pitching on Friday and Saturday, and then on Sunday they finally had to uh, bring the bats alive to get a win. The pit, you know the bullpen, which has been so good this year, uh, finally uh, had ran into some issues, uh, but State. You won't believe this. I know you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you, but Jake Mangum with the go-ahead RBI single no. in the eighth inning. Yeah, I know. I know. He did it again. And uh, Bulldogs get a 9-8 nine, nine, win over Maine to, uh, to cap off the sweep. Last time we talked to Scott Barry, this time last week they had lost five consecutive games. This time we'll get to talk to him after winning four consecutive games. They swept Holy Cross over the weekend. You can catch him with us here in about tw- 15 minutes from right now Ole Miss Rippey uh, lesser opponent in UAB but still it's good to get a sweep as well in Oxford yeah and I, it's, to me the main story of the weekend I think was one they had a couple guys pitch out of the bullpen really well and then Zach Phillips had by far his best outing of the season on Saturday you're not really sure what was going to happen in that game two slot uh, didn't look great early but then retires 10 of his last 11 batters and turns in a really quality outing Buried the lead a little bit here, and and probably a mistake on my part. Mississippi State women win their first SEC basketball tournament championship. And and to be honest, when I saw that this was their first, I was kind of surprised because they've been so dominant and just at the top of the league now, really since Vic Safer took over. Um, But it's good to see that they got their first tournament championship anyway. Uh, but I imagine the team's got much bigger things ahead. It's nice to win the SEC. It's a really good thing, but national championship caliber team that they've got right now that's about to make a run in the tournament. Yeah, that's definitely true. You know, the national championship is the ultimate goal for them. But they did want to get this because it was something that was lacking from the trophy case for them. Uh, you know, they had been to the finals four straight years. This is the first time they had won. Obviously, they had lost to South Carolina the previous three. But the, the more importantly for them, this win and winning this tournament along with some other scores around the nation have put MSU back into contention to get one of those one seeds uh, in the NCAA tournament. Looking right now, the last uh, bracketology from Charlie Krem said that he had them as a one seed and Oregon, which lost in the Pac-12 tournament to Stanford, has dropped down to a two-seed. So the Bulldogs could have gotten just a little bit easier path back to the Final Four. More on that in just a few minutes. And we cannot leave out Delta State. The Statesman won the Gulf South Conference Championship with a win yesterday over Alabama Huntsville, and they will be going dancing as well. Like I said, winners all over the state of Mississippi this weekend, as well as a few other things that we're going to get to today Specifically, since we didn't have a show on Friday, the report came out where you got specifics in the wiretap that Will Wade appeared on in the FBI case from Yahoo. LSU, Joe Oliva suspended him, as well as the player whose name specifically came up in this report. And I don't know if you saw it, guys. The atmosphere in Baton Rouge for their SEC championship ceiling game against Vanderbilt on Saturday was the most bizarre scene I've ever seen in college sports in my life. I haven't. I've seen the highlights of it, and you know, I agree with what I forget who said it. I think it may have been Barrett Salih who said it on, on Twitter earlier today. Who said uh, that Joe Oliva is just not a popular AD at LSU anyway. He's just not. Never has been. Uh, so you know, you don't really need to give their fans a whole lot of a reason to boo him. But they they were very adamant in their support of Will Wade and very adamant in their disgust towards the LSU uh, administration uh, with this. But that said, 
I don't know what LSU and Joe Oliva, who's a guy, I mean, I'm not a big fan of his. I don't think he's a very good athletic director. But I don't know what more they could have done in this situation. They had to do what they had to do. And it didn't hurt anybody. LSU still wins the game, and they're still the SEC champions until the asterisk comes whenever. Yeah, I caught bits and pieces of the game. I didn't. Not, I wasn't invested in it enough to notice the atmosphere, but I did notice uh, what Javante Smart was cutting down the nets after. That That's kind of funny. Oh, Rippy. I mean, it was, and you could hear it through your television as well, but the student section was incredibly creative with the Joe must go or fire Joe Oliva chance. Any song that came on in the speakers in the arena, they sang it, but inserting some form of fire Joe Oliva, please, or free Will Wade. Every song that came over the speakers, when Joe Oliva was spotted walking into the arena, the entire arena was booing him and jeering him as he was walking to his seat. There were signs, not just like posters, like somebody took bed sheets and used duct tape. Multiple signs where duct tape was their method of spelling out instead of paint or something. But Joe must go, fire Joe Oliva, all over the arena. So you had this negative focus on their athletic director, this free will wait, our coach is suspended, and yet their team is winning the SEC championship on the court. It was just wild and bizarre. I've never seen anything like that before. It, it, it's, I don't think it's going to become the norm or anything like this, but you know, fans are just smarter nowadays. You know, They know what's going on. I mean, 30 years ago, you just showed up to the games. You, you barely knew who the players were a lot of the time, unless you had an absolute superstar. You didn't know anything about recruiting, and you certainly didn't know anything about what's going on you know, behind the scenes. Now that you do, and people can, can take that information and come up with their own opinions to it, you know, you're going to have scenes like this where if something, something unpopular happens, people are going to they're gonna, they're gonna re- retaliate to it, and that's just the way it is. And for him, is it this move isolated in a vacuum, or is this kind of being a, a, one of the final straws in a series of unpopular moves? It's that more than anything else. If this was the first thing, then it wouldn't have gone the way it did Uh, on Saturday. More on that coming up later. Also on the show, Arkansas football has taken something a little too far, and they have offered a scholarship to a fifth grader in order to try to get his older brother. We'll have winners and losers, a look at the SEC tournament bracket, and a whole lot more today. I don't know how we're going to get through this, but we're going to try our hardest. You will also hear from Scott Berry coming up here in about, uh, oh, 10 minutes from right now, 20 minutes from right now as well as an interview that Hey Dad did with Mississippi State's Chris Limonis uh, that happened just earlier today. He couldn't join us live, but uh, was um, kind enough to give Brian Haydad some time earlier today before they hit the practice field, and we will have that for you as well. At Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you, streaming live in the Renaissance Bank studio. 601-879-4395. If you want to be a part of the show this afternoon, that is the best way to do it. That's the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Send us a text to be a part of the show this afternoon. But C Spire reminds you, please do not text and drive. Use your voice text feature, Bluetooth. Pull over to the side of the road. Don't be like me in text while driving. It's a bad habit. My wife wants me to break it. I can't do it, though. It's... It's not texting while driving. It's more flipping through Twitter while driving. I get fear of missing out. If I'm an hour away from Twitter, I feel like something's going to break and I'm going to miss it, so I'm always on Twitter. And she likes to let me know that that is a bad thing. So please don't be like me. Be smart. 
be a part of the show, but do so safely. Like Dan in Charleston, he wonders what Pete Maravich would think about what's going on at LSU right now. Well, I mean, he he, I, I can't imagine. Uh, that's that's. A, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That's what a, what a weird question. So. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit later on as well because we, we have yet to really talk about the story. And somehow everybody around the situation is surprised at the story. I mean, I, I've seen people suggest that the SEC office was mad and LSU was blindsided by the report as if we haven't known for months that he appeared on a wiretap. What do you think the FBI's recording will weigh on a wiretap for? It's not discussing where to go out to eat that night, but uh, that's something that we will discuss later on. And on the Twitter feed, if you want to tweet at us, at Sports Talk Miss, Hal reminds us that there was another champion in Starkville this weekend, the 6A state champion Starkville High School boys basketball team. We'll have somebody on later in the week to, to give us a full rundown uh, of all the, the high school basketball action. But yeah, uh, another champion from Starkville, the, the Starkville Yellow Jackets 6A state basketball champions. But for now, let's talk uh, MSU women. They go to Greenville, uh, the hometown of one Michael Borky, where the, the team, I'm not kidding, guys, ran into my parents while they were out eating on Thursday when they were in Greenville. I mean, your, your parents are big-timers. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a metro area of like a million three. And of all people, of all places, the Mississippi State women's basketball team and, and Jason Crowder – ran into my parents. They're big timers. You know, they, they, they hang with champions. And apparently my parents are good luck. Mississippi State, well, they didn't really need luck with the way they ran through this tournament. And the championship game in Greenville beat Arkansas by 31 points in route to their first ever SEC uh, tournament championship, which gives you the automatic bid. I guess there's a debate, hey, Dad, which one means more? But I guess if you win them both, doesn't really matter. No, you're right about that. I mean, I, I would say the regular season championship means more. You're talking about playing the the full season versus you know three games. I mean, you look at, at Arkansas. If so, if a miracle had happened and Arkansas had won on Sunday, are they the best team in the SEC? No, they're not. But they did win the tournament. That's not the case, obviously. And you say no luck. I think there was a little bit of luck, and that's that Arkansas was able to knock out uh, South Carolina. In, How did in that the, happen? They just outplayed them, man. I mean, I watched a little bit of that game, and, you know, we were keeping up with it, obviously, during baseball. And it was just, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? And then all of a sudden, oh, my God, it happened. And it was, it was one of the biggest upsets, obviously, of the season. Um, but, you know, I think State would have handled South Carolina. They'd already beaten them twice anyway. But that said, you know, you got a, a much easier opponent with Arkansas, and you saw the final result. The Hogs were just out of gas by the time they got to uh, to Sunday, whereas State – Still had plenty to go. Tierra McCowan, huge day for her. And, of course, she's having a great uh, couple of days. Not only is she the SEC tournament champion, but announced earlier today she won the Gillum Award, a sweep for Mississippi In a State major State. upset. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was her It was her or two, other, two of her teammates. I mean, it was either going to be her, Howard, or Danbury. And then on the men's side, Quentin, Quindary Weatherspoon is the, uh, the Howell Trophy winner. So a clean sweep for the Bulldogs there. Like I said, a lot of, of winning happening in Starkville the past couple of days. So, yeah, McCowan was dominant. Uh Bramber Scott and, and uh, Espinosa Hunter, fantastic from behind the arc. I think they combined for about nine three-pointers, and State just ran away with it. And then, you know, the big news, obviously, is that the win has put them back in that discussion to be a one seed. Right now it looks like I think they're going to head to Portland, which will be an interesting situation because they're projecting Oregon as the two seed there. So you might have a situation where State's the one seed, but it would be a pro-Oregon crowd in that regional. But I guess that's just the way it's going to have to line up. 
one seed or two seed, it doesn't really matter. Mississippi State's one of the top five, six teams in the country and will have a, a great chance, no matter where they're sent, to, uh, to, to get back to the Final Four. Didn't they used to play these games in home arenas? The first two rounds are played in the home arena. Okay, so, so start, Mississippi State there will, will be host a, games. Okay, Yeah, Mississippi State will host uh, the first and second round action uh, starting, I think it starts the week after the, the men's tournament. Starts. And we so, find out that... Monday, next Monday, a week from today. So they play their conference tournament and have to sit around and wait for a week before they know where they're going. Not all of the conference tournaments are done. For example, I know the American East, which UConn plays in, their, their championship game is today. But still, I, imagine if yeah, you're a bubble team. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah the, 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 the drama week. is real. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. But, but for a team like Mississippi State, you're comfortably in. Now it's just about, you know, and then the great thing for them is they know, they know what to do. They know the path to get back to the national title. They've been there two years in a row, and uh, you know, it's just about how can they find a way to win that final game. Vic, Vic Schaefer made the comment he was tired of being hit by confetti as he walked off the court. Uh, that's what happened to him in the last three SEC championship tournament championships and the last two final fours uh this time he finally had to be on the court when the confetti fell uh so we'll see if he can do it one more time in a few weeks it feels like he's got a lot of nick saban in him with his okay we won that's great but i'm watching the film on the bus getting ready for the next thing kind of guy and that and the fact that he is an elite recruiter a big time recruiter he, he gets talent i mean i would imagine michael that i mean most most co- great coaches are going to have some saban in them I think that probably going back to Bear Bryant and, and Steve Spurrier, all of these coaches are so, somewhat similar in that they have that ability to enjoy the moment, but they're already looking ahead to the next one. I mean, I, think about Nick Saban. He, he can win a national title, and then the next day he's probably already starting to lock in the game plans and stuff for the next season. So, yeah, Sha- Schaefer is in that rare breed of elite coaches. The only thing his resume lacks is a national title. We'll see if he can get one this year. Are they a one seed? I think so. They should be. They should be. They're twenty-seven and two. If I think that's right, twenty-seven and two, twenty-eight and two. They lost one game on the road to another top-ten team, and that was in December. And then they got tripped up by a really good Missouri team at home. If they hadn't lost the Missouri game, there'd be no no doubt they would be a one seed. They might be the, you know the number two or three team in the country right now. Uh, but I, I believe you know you're talking about an SEC championship team that only lost once in conference play, and that includes the tournament. You beat South Carolina twice. You beat Missouri in the tournament. You beat Kentucky. Yeah, I, th- I think they should be a one seed. Greg Nettleton says on the text line, he loves to see that transfer, Miss Hunter, nailing those threes. Eight of 11 from the from the three-point line on air in an empty gym is impressive. And a conference championship game is unbelievable. Yeah, states – and three-point shooting has not been state's uh, strength this year. You know, with Chloe Bibby going out, she was the real three-point threat on this team. But Espinosa Hunter and Brianna Scott have done a great job. But, yeah, for the most part, this team has been about getting the ball down low to McCowan and Howard and you know getting a lot of buckets off of offensive rebounds. But if the perimeter game starts to show up, it's, it's going to be really, really difficult for anybody. And I'm talking about UConn, Notre Dame, Baylor, any of them, to beat Mississippi State. Yeah, and I'll go ahead and put my home address out on Twitter, and you can send the check, the – uh, victory check to my parents I'm sorry. because I, they're I the, the reason that you won. So yes, yeah, you, you can send the check there. We'll send them. We'll send them a uh, praise the Lord, go dogs T-shirt. <laughs> my Venmo is open, so so anytime you want to send me some money for my parents blessing the Mississippi State women's basketball team. How funny is that, though? I mean, just the smallest of worlds. It's a big place, yeah. and they happen to do that. So 
What, what does this mean long-term for Mississippi State? I mean, they, like you said, they've gone to back-to-back national championships. If they can find their way to a third one, and that's unprecedented right there outside of UConn. Yeah. What does this SEC tournament championship mean other than just they got the one that – the item that they were missing? I, mean, I think that's what it is. You know, it's just, it's just a piece that was missing. You know, you, wanted to, you want to be able to say you're the dominant program in this conference. You know, I think South Carolina would probably have state claim to that because they do have that national title a couple of years ago, and that's the one thing MSU is lacking. Uh, but the, the program in and of itself is as solid as solid can be. It has reached a status similar to that of Alabama football and Kentucky basketball in terms of something would have to go terribly wrong. In other words, Vic Schaefer would have to leave or something like that for this program to derail at this point. And, you know, you look at next season and you think, oh, well, they lose four starters. They lost four starters this past season, and they just replaced them, and they just kept on moving. And, you know, yeah, you lose McCowan, but you'll have Promise Taylor coming in, who's, you know, transferred out of Ole Miss, and she'll be uh, eligible to play next year. You're going to bring back a a ton of talent, and and they're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. They're going to be a top ten, top five program for a long, long time at this rate. Tim and McGee says if they're not a one seed, something is bad wrong. Yeah. We'll see. We'll turn the page to baseball next. Scott Berry will join us for his weekly segment. Southern Miss coming off of four consecutive wins. One week after they came off of five consecutive losses, so a great turnaround for the Golden Eagles as they enter conference play. The head ball coach is going to join us next at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. As a reminder, Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Richard Cross is off today. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey with you this afternoon and right now on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team as Southern Miss head baseball coach Scott Barry and uh, Coach, it's a, a little bit different feel. Last week, you, you were coming off of five consecutive losses, and now this week when you join us, four straight wins. It's got to feel good to get back into the winning column there. Well, it does, Michael. I mean, get that momentum going again. And, uh, you know, that five-game losing streak was a tough one. As, as we talked last week, we could have won four of those five games, but we didn't do enough uh, to, to, do, uh, to, to give us those wins. And hopefully we've corrected some things and have a little momentum as we move uh, closer to uh, conference play, which begins this Friday against Louisiana Tech on the road. But before that, you know, certainly we've got Lafayette that we have to uh, have to meet up with down at their place. And the Raging Cajuns are always tough there. We'll do that on Wednesday. And looking at that team, is can you treat midweek games differently? It's a good ULL team. They scheduled tough early coming off of a series win over Maryland as well. Uh, do you do you approach midweek games differently than you will this weekend with Louisiana Tech, or are you trying to win this one all the same? No, I mean we're doing everything we can to win this one, knowing that we've got an all important conference weekend. You know, two days later uh, that begins on Friday. So, you know, what we'll do is is we'll pitch a lot of guys, and, and you know, probably Lafayette will do the same as as a lot of people do in the midweek. But you know, it's important for us. This is a big road. Uh, opportunity for a win uh, against a quality opponent, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll we'll take care of business and take care of the baseball defensively, pitch well enough with enough guys, and then uh, of course you know things that have been eluding us offensively, which have been some timely hitting, maybe they'll uh, start kicking in uh, starting Wednesday. 
Was it by design uh, to have a road trip uh, at a place like that, a brand-new ballpark and a really good fan base and a good team right before conference play? Well, it matched up well with uh, with us going on up to uh, Ruston from there. We're on spring breaks. So we're not missing class. So, really, it was, a, it was a perfect opportunity for us to get that that road game in. And, and Lafayette will return it to our place later in the year. So, uh, kind of, yeah, to answer your question, yes, it was by design, just for the mere fact from geographically uh, being able to just uh, not be too far apart from uh, the two places. And looking back at this weekend, uh, from your your game one and game two starters, you get twelve innings of work from the two of them combined, and two combined earned runs. What what was your evaluation of their performances? Well, I mean, they uh, we we've gotten pretty good starts all year, honestly, except for maybe a couple or three. But you know, both uh, Walker Powell and, and Stevie Powers, who are Friday and Saturday guys, uh, you know, gave us quality starts, and even Adam Jackson did on the single game on Saturday. Um, so, you know, I thought all three games, uh, we had uh, great starts out the gate. Our bullpen once again came in and, and threw up the zeros that we needed them to do in order for our offense to, to try to get something across the board, you know, in each one of those games uh, throughout the game or even late to uh, enable us to win. So, you know, that's what that's what the uh, the pitching staff really has done all year. Mike was uh, has given our offense an opportunity and a chance to uh, to catch back up or or extend some leads that we need to badly. And now you you head to Ruston to play a, a what looks like a really good Louisiana Tech team. They played Arkansas very well this past weekend. Uh, what do you see from the Bulldogs? Well, they return everybody from last year just about. So they're, they're very strong. Uh, you know, honestly, I think they're playing the best of anybody in our conference. Uh, they've played a really good schedule. Coach Burris has put together a good schedule. Could have easily taken two out of three at Arkansas this past weekend. Got beat five to three on Friday night. Uh, controversial call there in the bottom of the eighth. Went against them and then went for Arkansas. But then they came out and beat them pretty good, twelve to seven on Saturday before they lost. Uh, got shut out on Sunday. So they couldn't come away with two two wins in in that series. Uh, kind of like us with state, we could have come away with two, but we didn't and uh, didn't do enough. And they didn't do enough to do that. So tough team. A lot of veterans back. A lot of guys with experience both on the mound and at the plate. So. Pretty good, pretty good challenge right out the gate for uh, for us in Conference USA. I'm glad you brought up a controversial call. I saw something on Twitter. I don't know how much of a Twitter guy you are, but Jim Schlossnagel uh, mm-hmm. tweeted out a video of uh, a batter from the Duke Virginia game of all games where. Uh, the, the batter did not get out of the way. He just turned his back to a pitch that was heading right for him. It struck him. He went to go take his base, and the umpire actually made him get back in the box and called him out for not trying to get out of the way of the baseball. I guess it's a new rule in college baseball this year. Has that happened to your team yet? What do you think about that well, kind of situation where a player, when a ball is heading towards him, if he doesn't try to get out of the way, is penalized and the pitcher is rewarded for a bad pitch? Well, they have messed around with that rule so much that I think everybody's confused. Even the umpires are confused with it. I thought that they had it perfect uh, a year ago when they, you know, it was really simple. It was black and white. Did he try to get hit or did he not try to get hit? And that's as simple as you can get it now. The rule basically states, uh, did he try to get hit 
or uh, did he roll into it? It's not necessarily that they have to get out of the way of it anymore. It's did they did they roll into it and try to get hit? And now I think the play that you're talking about that Schwarzenegger alluded to was the kid was actually it was called a strike. So that being the third strike, that that is what got him out. Which uh, you know if, if you're leaning out over the plate and you get hit and it's and, and it's clearly out of the box then I get that. But if you're in the box, which it looked like that kid was, uh, and it's your box, it's not the, it's not the pitcher's box, if you get hit, uh, then, you know, I don't, I don't understand the rule, but with that, especially when he got called a strike. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of people around the country that are a little uncertain about this rule, and it, it, it really it puts, puts the umpires in a bad position, and I won't lie to you on it, because it's strictly a judgment, and uh, which a lot of the, a lot of baseball rules are judgments, but this one here, uh, they've messed with it so much, I think everybody's kind of confused. What kind of a role, do you play any kind of role in that? Are you vocal with rule changes, and, and who do you talk to when you have something like that that happens that uh, maybe rubs you the wrong way? Well, no, I'm not active with it, but I mean, if there's something that came up that needs to be addressed, then certainly everybody's encouraged to talk with their assigner about it and uh, to try to use that avenue to try to get some clarity with it and, and have them also communicate it to their umpires uh, what, what what's going on. You know, in today's world, man, nothing goes unnoticed. Um, you and I saw it on Twitter because that's where it is. I mean, there's not hardly any a venue anymore that doesn't have access to to replay or or to anything else that happens. So, you know, umpire just like we are as as coaches and players and all that are exposed. Uh, so so are umpires and and how they officiate and and their strike zones and, and everything else. So uh, nobody nobody's safe anymore. I guess I should say in what you do. And real quick, before we let you go, this is Scott Barry, head baseball coach at Southern Miss, joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Uh, Matt Walner's health, where is he? Is he going to get back on the mound anytime soon? And he's at least swinging the bat pretty well, it looks like. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's, he's not going to be on the mound anytime soon. We're not going to push that. You know, he still has some tightness in that forearm. And, you know, certainly the young man's got a, a, a very bright future ahead of him. And, and I respect that and understand it and don't want to do anything to jeopardize it. So, you know, we're going to just continue to uh, let him go at, at his pace and how, you know, he can tolerate. So, uh, but, you know, he's, uh, you know, I don't know how much the arm is kind of playing into the bat. He hasn't gotten off like, like we would like to, like him to, or, or like he wants to. But, you know, he's out there competing every day, grinding it out, just like, you know, a lot of our guys are and, and everybody else's players around the country. So, uh, you know, we will just can continue to, to rehab him and, and take it slow with him and what we do. Coach, thanks a lot for the time and good luck this week uh, over in Louisiana. And hopefully, we can come back talking about four more wins. I hope so too. I appreciate the time on Michael. Thanks a lot, Coach. That's Scott Barry, head baseball coach at Southern Miss. Sports Talk Mississippi on a Monday. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey with you. It's just after 4 o'clock, and it is Monday. That means it's time for winners and losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. We're All right, guys, I'll start. I'll do the broad. 
at least for my first winner and allow you to get more focus. The state of Mississippi this weekend was dominant. You had a women's basketball conference champion. Delta State won their conference championship. You had three sweeps in baseball. You had two winners, three winners in men's basketball. It was just a dominating weekend across the state of Mississippi and just a really fun weekend to to cover and to follow and now talk about with you today. So Mississippi is my first winner because college sports was really good to you this weekend. My first winner is, and I don't know, technically I don't know who it is yet. And this news came out last week, but we never, I don't think we ever got a chance to talk about it. But there is some SEC beat writing core that's going to go to Las Vegas this year because the Las Vegas Bowl now has a uh, SEC tie-in. So somebody, not Alabama, Alabama, your you, beat writers, you get treated well enough. Probably not Georgia, but Kentucky, maybe Mississippi State, maybe maybe Vanderbilt is going to go to Las Vegas, and I personally can't wait to figure out what I'm allowed to expense there. <laughs> Does, do crap's losses get expensed? I don't know, but I'm excited to find out. Rippy, give me a winner. Antonio Brown. Um, That's a good one. I'm... I might try it. I may just stop showing up for work, throw a tantrum, and see if I get a couple mil added to the contract because it works. <laughs> Power move by him. So Antonio Brown is my winner. My next winner is loopholes. So a, a court case that you probably weren't following, it was relatively inconsequential, involving the NCAA occurred over the last week or so in which the NCAA lost. The reason you don't know much about it is because the only thing they lost was they can no longer limit or restrict the compensation or benefits that are directly related to education for Division I student-athletes playing basketball or football. So what that means is you're going to find a lot of programs that are getting very creative with the academic benefits related to education. I'm talking kids with 15, 20 laptops, iPads, everywhere the nicest calculators in the history of the world all in the sake or for the sake of education that's good stuff there good stuff maybe like a gold-plated laptop (laughs) i'm just gonna if i'm a coach i'm just gonna be like well we just gave him a best buy gift card and told him to go pick it up yeah what he did with it that's not on us i mean we hey no he didn't he didn't buy a laptop that's that's not that we 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 did all we could uh we just got a text about my next winner uh, from uh, Greg and Nettleton, but Mississippi University for Women, national champions in women's basketball in their division. This is their first year in the sport. A national championship. Imagine, if you will, something like that happening in, in the NCAA. First year in the sport, and you and you get a national title. So congrats to the ladies. Just down the road here from Starville and Columbus, they are number one. I will go Connor Green. Um, an old Miss pitcher that's been, I've written about him some, but a, a, a guy that had a huge role out of the bullpen as a freshman was really kind of an afterthought. The sophomore and junior year as he battled some command issues has been arguably one of, if not Ole Miss's best relief pitcher. He got him out of a bases loaded situation in a 2-1 game yesterday. I don't know how, I'm going to go back and look it up. I don't know how many runners he stranded this year, but it is a lot. Um, and he has been really good this year. An interesting story because you see a lot of times you see guys out of the bullpen develop late in their careers, but you don't see the the kind of up and down trajectory to where he had such a big role as a freshman to fall off and eventually come back. But he has been very good for Ole Miss. 
My third winner is the president of the United States, Donald Trump, because he put something on Twitter that everybody can agree on, and he supports daylight savings time being time all year long. So the spring forward, he supports it being what it is all year long instead of the 445 sunsets we get in the winter. So President Trump's a winner because thank you. Please make it happen this time, though. Yes, that's pretty good. Did you also see that he did the Kevin thing from The Office? (laughs) Why use big word when small word do? It works. I guess. Uh, Gosh, a third winner. I'm going to go with JT Ginn from Mississippi State Baseball because all he's done is win. You know, like 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 DJ Khaled just told us about. Uh, he is now four and zero on the season. He has not shown me anything that doesn't make me think that the Dodgers made the right choice uh, drafting him, but they maybe they made the wrong choice lowballing him. They they should have thrown as much money as, at him as they possibly could because this guy is just he's just mowing guys down. I can't wait to see him this weekend in Gainesville and and see how he does against the Florida Gators. Third winner, Rippy. Third winner. Oh, man. I only had two. I guess I'll go Kermit Davis. Saturday kind of capped the season. It got him to their 20th win. They finished five over 500 in league play. Really a story that is interesting because of how they got there and because really no one would have seen this coming, right? Projected to finish last, you know, working with three guards and, and a couple freshmen and, and a couple kind of misfit bigs on the roster. And now they're going to the NCAA tournament in all likelihood. So Saturday was a good day for Ole Miss basketball. They, they capped a pretty remarkable turnaround. My first loser, LSU, some people in the SEC office and some people in the media because there are reports that LSU was blindsided by what was said on the wiretap in the Yahoo report on Thursday. There are reports that uh, the front office of the SEC is furious uh, with what was in that report from Yahoo. And some people in the media somehow forgot that we have known for months that Will Wade was recorded on a federal wiretap discussing facilitating money to recruits in order for them to go to LSU to play basketball. I've been calling him Wiretap Will on this show for months, not because I just assumed he was, because we knew he was. LSU was not blindsided by this report. They did it because public pressure and pressure from the front office was too strong for them to ignore it. But they knew that this wiretap existed for a long time, and right now people are pretending that it doesn't. This was no surprise. Thursday's report was no surprise, and yet people are pretending that it is a surprise. It's not. We've known for a while. They just liked winning. Uh, you know, not so much that they did anything this weekend or this past week, but you know, and Rippy hit on this last week, but I feel like I, I need to make my statement here about the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, I'm going to say something here. <laughs> And, you know, people have been trying to, you know, convince me of something for a long time, but I will no longer hear of it. I'm done believing that. I will not hear that LeBron is better than Kobe anymore. I will not. Because Kobe Bryant would have put this team into the playoffs. I have no doubt about that in my mind. Uh, Kobe Bryant would not have to have Kyle Kuzma shove him towards a a person shooting the ball to defend him. I will have no more of that discussion. So, the Los Angeles Lakers, gay. Rippy, give me a loser. Uh, Borky kind of took mine, but Will Wade um, was going to be mine. That's a tough week. You go from what? At the beginning of the week, they won an overtime game at Florida, um, which was a huge win because it basically kind of guaranteed as long as they took care of business against Vanderbilt, the, you know, the 
quickly turned very awkward celebration Saturday. So he goes from Tuesday night to now being suspended, probably not coming back this year. Tough week for Wiretap Will. My final loser, Blockbuster. There's one left in the entire world. There is one functioning Blockbuster left. They could have been Netflix. People wanted them to be Netflix. They chose not to be Netflix. And now there's one left. Still hanging on there. Still, Still hanging on. Uh, my final loser is going to be uh, internet trolls, Twitter trolls, because they really crapped on the movie Captain Marvel. And I went to go see it on Sunday. I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. I thought it was well well told out. A, a character that even a superhero nerd like me is not overly familiar with. But now I feel like I'm caught up. I'm ready for the, the last Avengers movie. And if you're a kid of the 90s, which I'm not a kid of the 90s, I was in my 20s, but uh, a lot of nostalgia because that movie is, is a prequel to all this stuff. So the soundtrack was a lot of grunge, and, and I, I really enjoyed it. So good movie. And uh, the people who were hating on it, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I do not agree with you. I'll go Vanderbilt. They ran the table in reverse, and honestly, <laughs> Darius Garland should probably win SEC Player of the Year, right? Because man, without him, first pick of the draft. <laughs> I don't like. Look, I get, I get that that was a big piece of their team, but to go zero and eighteen, they had another five star starter. Simi Solishitu is a five star. Like I, I just. I don't get how that happens, and I think I don't think Bryce Drew's going anywhere because of the recruiting class he has coming in. But man, one quick winner, Tim in McGee, texts us and says the FBI also has Coach O on a wiretap. Luckily, they couldn't understand anything. Ah, that's a good one. That's what we miss, Richard, right there. We need the impression. <laughs> uh, more coming up. We'll turn to uh, we'll turn to hoops next actually just kidding we will hear from chris lamonis next and then we will turn to hoops chris lamonis coming up next it's sports talk mississippi in the renaissance bank studio back on sports talk mississippi streaming live at supertalk.fm michael borky brian hey dad brian scott rippy with you this afternoon talking about winners today that's all we're talking about today well with the exception of Will Wade, but otherwise we're talking about nothing but winners today and turning the page to Mississippi State baseball. Maine was coming in winless, but still you get a sweep over a team that you were better than. So, hey, Dad, overall thoughts on the weekend? Another good weekend for Mississippi State. Obviously, you know, what you're getting out of Ethan Small and JT again has really been special this far, thus far. We'll see what, if it can carry over into conference play, but I don't have any reason to doubt that it will. Uh, it's really weird. Small got his first decision of the week. Of the, of the year, I'm sorry, uh, this past weekend. He's pitched incredibly well, but run support has not been something he, uh, he's come by uh, pretty easily. But he got some of that on Friday. He got his first one of the year. And then, like I said in the winners and losers, JT Ginn just continues to deliver uh, each and every time out. Cole Gordon did see his scoreless inning streak snap, 25 innings pitch without giving up a run. He gave up a run in the uh, bottom of the ni- I'm sorry, the top of the ninth on Sunday to, to snap that streak. But he ended up getting his, uh, I believe his fifth save of the year. The bats are are there, you know, Mangum, Westberg, uh, Foscue, Dustin Skelton's got four home runs already. Gunnar Halter seems to be be rounding into shape and and, and his bat's coming around. You're you're still a little worried about Rowdy Jordan. You're still a little worried about Tanner Allen. But those guys have shown in the past they can hit, and I I, I think they'll they'll figure it out uh, in the the coming weeks. And and they'll be, you know, solid bats for MSU the rest of the year. But right now the way MSU is pitching – they don't need a whole lot in terms of run support every night out. It, it, it's going to be really interesting, you know, between in the SEC West. So I, I look at there's a lot of, of teams that can score, 
but there's not a lot of great pitching in, in the in the West. And then there's Mississippi State, who can, they can score some, but they don't have. I don't think their their offense is as good as it can be. But from a pitching standpoint, they might be the they might be the best team in the country. Chris Lamonis could not join us live today because, as you can imagine, Division One athletic coaches are, are pretty busy people. But he was kind enough to uh, take a little bit of time out of his day and catch up with Hey Dad earlier today. Here is that interview uh, with Brian Hey Dad and Mississippi State head baseball coach Chris Lamonis. Joining us on Sports Talk Mississippi at this time, the head baseball coach at Mississippi State, Chris Lamonis, his team off to a tremendous start this season. And coach. I think we all knew this this team was going to be good in 2019, but at this point, you know, about to start SEC play, have they exceeded even your expectations? I, I think in some areas. I mean, I think we've played pretty good to, for this start. Um, I think our pitching's been a little more than I thought coming out of spring training, especially the bullpen piece. I know we had a little hiccup yesterday, but um, for the most part, just those bullpen pieces have been really good and given us a chance to win some close games late against some good teams. For me, when I when I watch your team, especially on the weekends, it, it really does start with the one-two punch you have of Ethan Small and, and JT Ginn. They, they've just been so good this season. Small just getting his first decision of the year, been sort of a tough luck pitcher these, these first few weeks. For me, the Friday night guy, it's not just about what he does on the mound. He has to be a leader. In your opinion, is Ethan Small a leader both on and off the field? Yeah, he's awesome. I mean, I, I've been very fortunate. I was telling our coaches – all the guys that we had to come back for this season, um, Ethan Small's a, a big piece, and, and not just because of his, what he does on the rubber. Um, it's what he does the six days prior and how he goes about his business. And just a fun kid to coach. Has a great demeanor about the game, and then when he gets out there on the rubber, um, you like you know your Friday night guy just has to fight. I mean, everybody we face on Friday night has a good arm, and um, he's locking into it with everybody. So uh, it's been fun to watch. And then on Saturdays, JT Ginn, I think everybody you know knew that he was going to be a, a good player, but he has been dominant in a way that a true freshman in, in any sport at Mississippi State hasn't been in, in a long, long time. I think you knew the talent level that he had, but, but for you, what's something that he's done or shown you thus far that's surprised you? You know, he is, um, since we've gotten to the season, he is as meticulous about his work. And it's something that every all the fans don't get to see, but... He's in here watching video after he pitches. He's in here watching video before he faces the opponent. Um, he is really just mature beyond his years as how he prepares for the game, which that kind of caught me off guard. Even through the fall and everything else, he was a normal freshman. We all know he's ultra-talented. Um, but, you know, that's what gets him out there. And he just, you know, he gets on that rubber. He's prepared and he's ready to compete. For you, you know, you're a coach. I know that you know fans are looking at this team and thinking, "Wow, they're winning all their games and they're playing so well." I know that you're you're looking at the details, even through this great start. What's something that stands out to you that needs improvement before SEC play starts this weekend? You know, you know, the first couple of weeks we were really good defensively. The past week we've just been okay. And to win at a high level, day in and day out, if you don't make plays in the SEC. Uh, they come back to haunt you. So, you know, our weekly preparation defensively is huge. And um, just like with any team in the country, we just we're talking about it as a coaching staff. We have a couple hitters who haven't got off to the best start. So we're hoping, um, you know, sometimes, you know, the good hitters, they just hit over time. So we're hoping a couple of those guys get going here and, um, you know, help out the lineup because we feel like we have great depth to our lineup is one of our strengths. Um, but we got to get a couple guys going. So you're doing something at MSU that – I've never seen done at MSU, and it's it's a simple thing, but you employ the shift a lot, 
And I'm telling you, before you got here, I don't think I've ever seen MSU go into the shift. Is that just part of your coaching philosophy, or, or is that something that, you know, that's what the scouting report says we need to do here? Well, you know, it, it, it goes a couple ways. Really and truly, Coach Foxhall did the shift a lot when they came. Um, and to be able to do the shift a lot, you have to have all the technology and the scouting and everything in place. And with the new stadium, we've gotten that all in place, so we have a little more information. And uh, we shift in certain pieces. We don't shift as much as others. And I think even Coach Foxhall probably shifted more last year. But, you know, like I told our staff, they're trying to outlaw it in the big leagues. Yeah. That's, that's how well it works and takes away from hitters. And every once in a while, they're going to chop a ball where the third baseman was supposed to be. But if, as we rank it and we chart it, we're in the positive side heavy right now, even though every once in a while a ball will get chopped backside. But, you know, the entire Major League Baseball is trying to outlaw it because it's made hitting so tough and, and takes away so many hits. And you have to be able to mentally handle it as coaches, as our pitchers, you know, because we had it with a pitcher the other day. He gave up a hit that, you know, um, you know, there was supposed to be a guy there in the old way. But as you transfer it and, and move on, we took away a couple hits too. So uh, it kind of it kind of works that way. So it's kind of new for me. And there's uh, there's things you don't think about. It's not so much where the one hit lands. What, who's covering the bag when you're in shift? Who's turning the double play? Like we don't give up a double play ever in the shift. Where do your cuts and relays go in the shift? That's been the things that we've all had to learn as a group. So it takes a little little bit of practice and even fly ball communication in the shift. We had a, we've had a couple where Justin Foskew's playing shortstop. And, you know, so we have to practice those things to prepare us for the shift. But I, I do think it helps over time, and there's a, re, there's a reason in the big leagues why you're seeing it happen so much. Are, are you an advanced metrics guy? Are you a money ball guy when it comes to baseball? Well, I like, I like to think I like the numbers. You know, I've always been good in math and everything else, and I've always felt like we know the numbers pretty well, and we spend a lot of time looking at them. Um, I'm probably middle of the road. Probably, as you'd say, I don't want to say old school, but I'm probably not where some other people are. Um, we're all still trying to learn, but we have a, you know, we have the track man that we look at every day. We look at, at all those numbers that were, you know, a lot of the scouting. I think we spend a lot of time. And when it comes to money ball, I do like guys that have high on base percentages. I mean, I think that's something you're looking for. And in the recruiting world, you want guys who don't swing and miss a lot. Um, that, I think that's the biggest piece you take from the money ball world of, uh, and hopefully our, our lineups, you know, we've been pretty good to this point, but, uh, I have a feeling the pitching, and, increase a little bit here as we hit SEC play. I asked Dustin Skelton about this yesterday because he's got four home runs on the year. He only hit one a season ago. When you talk to your guys, are, are they telling you that the, the park hits different now with the, the completion of the stadium? I think it does. I mean, it's hard for me. Um, you know, Coach Cohen is the one. You know, he probably has a better feel for it, and we've talked about it a couple times. I do think the wind, we have a little better wind in the ballpark right now with the completion of the condos. I think that was a big piece. Uh, maybe the second level, but I think the completion of the condos has helped keep that. You know, they said the wind would push in from left. I think those are the guys you're seeing. Uh, our left-handers, our left-handers really haven't got on fire hitting home runs. So you're seeing the Foscue, the Westberg, the Skelton. You know, those couple guys. But I do think it carries a little better. SEC play starts this weekend. Eleven teams in the conference ranked in the top 25. Your first taste of SEC baseball, you get to go down to Florida, won the national championship two years ago in top five team. For you as a coach, does anything change in the way you do preparation, the way your, your mindset is when SEC play begins? 
You know, it hasn't to this point. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll just coach them. We'll have a regular week of practice, getting ready for our Wednesday game. I think inside our coaching office, there's probably a little bit more scouting, preparing for the conference opponent. Uh, we have a little bit more information so we can really dig through. And like I've told our staff, man, if we could win it out because we've scouted better or a strike or whatever it might be, you know, let's put some extra time into that area. Um, but in terms of going between the lines and playing, um, man, the players got to play the game. And so I got to prepare them, motivate them. Um, but hopefully we go out there and play a nice, relaxed brand of baseball and keep playing the way we play. Coach Chris Munis takes his MSU team to Florida uh, this weekend after a midweek game with Grambling in Starville. Coach, thanks so much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate your time. Thanks, Brian. That's Chris Lamonis. He joined us on the Farm Bureau Guest Line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Really appreciate him taking some time out of his day to join us a little bit earlier today with Brian. Hey, Dad. We will turn the page to the hoops, talk Ole Miss and Mississippi State's win on Saturday. Coming up next at Sports Talk in the Renaissance Bank Studio. be a part of the show this afternoon on the ceasefire text line 601-879-4395 601-879-4395 texas be a part of the show but please be a part of the show safely michael borky brian hey dad brian scott rippy with you this afternoon talking about a whole lot of winners this week and the next one up is old miss so the rebels finally rippy close out a game a close game and one that they desperately needed yeah, and really just kind of got willed to the win at some points by, for, for a lot of stretches, by Devontae Shuler. Um, busted his lip, um, which kind of set the tone. He made a lot of tough plays. And then, of course, Terrence Davis's dunk at the end kind of seals it. But I thought they got good minutes from K.J. Buffett and Bruce Stevens. And it didn't look, I mean, they were down double digits fairly deep into the second half at, at one point and, and didn't look great. But pulled out a win they, they really needed and kind of, put the icing on the cake to capping a pretty pretty big turnaround. It was more than just a busted lip, right? I mean, didn't hit. As it was described to me, his bottom teeth went through his upper lip. Isn't that how that happened? Yeah, I probably undersold that. I'm pretty sure there was a hole in it Ugh. in his lip, which seems pretty painful. I wouldn't want that. I, I get borderline tears when, I, when I'm eating and I bite the interior of my lip. I couldn't imagine that, but... Uh, so let's unpack this a little bit. They beat Missouri, which Missouri was, what, 14-15 and 15 going into the game. Not a very good basketball team overall, even though they have been playing hard, especially lately. But this win means, removing all doubt, really, they're in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and like the, it, it was one of those things where, like, people, like, I went back and forth calling it a must-win. I, I mean, the, the proper term is probably an NCAA tournament play-in game. Because if they lost and they go to Nashville and win a game, then they're still probably okay. If they lose you know, back-to-back, then you're really sweating in and watching bid stealers. With this, as, as soft and as bad as the bubble was, I think they might have been okay regardless. But like you said, this removed all doubt. It was kind of a play-in game. And really, if you think about it, if they hadn't have pulled the game out, Alabama is not a – I guess the seating would have been different, but Alabama was not a good matchup for them in, in Nashville. 
And so, yeah, so you removed all doubt. I mean, it wasn't pretty for a lot of the game. Um, Ole Miss kind of came out and hit him in the mouth first a little bit, and then Missouri found their footing, and they had some bad defensive stretches late in the first half and early in the second half, but but made enough plays down the stretch. So what was different this time, aside from the obvious in that it wasn't Kentucky or Tennessee and it was Missouri, but they also failed late in a game against Arkansas that they should have won, and Florida as well, a team that even though Florida has been kind of better lately, I I would contend that Ole Miss is just a better basketball team than Florida, so it's not like it's just a product of competition. There was something wrong in late games for that team. What was different this time? Well, I think they just defended a little bit better down the stretch. And I think a lot of that is Missouri is not really as offensively capable as some of the teams they've been playing. I'm I'm pretty sure Missouri did not have a field goal for the last three minutes and 35 seconds of the game. And so they got stops down the stretch and executed better in half-court offense in, in the final minutes, which they had done for most of the year, but they didn't do that against Arkansas very well. And then they really were just exerting so much energy on the defensive end of the floor against Kentucky, they seemingly ran out of gas offensively late. And so I think they just defended better, particularly in the final minutes of the game. And I think obviously some of that is is Missouri is not exactly packing the firepower offensively as a Kentucky and a Tennessee is, and even in Arkansas is capable with Gafford and a couple of the guards they have. Yeah, and and Bruce Stevens, if they could have gotten the minutes that they've gotten from Bruce over the last week and a half, two weeks or so, last four or five games, if they could have gotten that all year, we wouldn't be talking about a win in their end game in the final game of the season. We'd be talking about seeding, I mean, up to a six or a five seed if they had gotten this kind of effort every night from him. Yeah, and, and, and you're exactly right about that. But conversely, I'm not sure where they are if they don't get it like he's given it to them the past six, seven games. It's really been almost a month, if not over a month now. I know the results of Tennessee, Kentucky probably would have been largely the same, but but where are they if they don't get this down the stretch? Because I think he's kind of changed their ceiling a little bit. For sure, and came up with the clutch block late. I mean, you look at the Tennessee game, uh, Ole Miss lost that game because they gave up lanes late, easy drives and easy baskets, and Missouri tried to do the same thing on Saturday, and it was swatted into the seats, and Ole Miss sealed the game and won. Yeah, and they're not getting much from Blake Henson and really haven't gotten a lot from him for the better part of the last six weeks, aside from him being pretty good in the Tennessee game. So when you're when, when that's going on and Dom really struggles in games where there's an athletic big on the other end and they get him out to the perimeter because Missouri did that some and it just killed him. So he's really not give, offering much at all in those type of games. If you don't have the minutes you're getting from Bruce, I mean, they're really in a tight spot. Yeah, and, and K.J. Buffin made a three. I, I mean, he, his game, he's obviously athletic, and he's he's got a pretty good basketball IQ. Um, he drives the lane well. He's going to be a good player for Ole Miss, but he's got to develop a jump shot. And he showed that once he can make a shot and stretch the defense a little bit, his presence can change things as well. It's just got to be consistent. Yeah, I mean, you you just really nailed it there. I think that's something that will develop in time. I think it's a confidence thing because you see him a lot of times kind of – I mean, he really does ponder shooting it and then either freezes up and by that time the defenders close out or it's too late or he just elects to pass the ball. So he finally makes one that makes him – and it affected a couple of possessions later, if you notice, after he made the three. I don't know if it was the next possession or two or three later. The guy closed out at him harder and then he was able to drive and it led to a basket. 
So even just making the one and kind of keeping it, keeping the defender honest and knowing they have to guard him on the perimeter a little bit changes it. But yeah, if he adds that to his game, he'll be a much better player and, and Ole Miss will be a lot better offensive team as a whole. The story of the game, though, uh, Devontae Shuler. I, I mean, it, probably the best game that he's played in an Ole Miss uniform. He, he had 18 points on 7 of 9 shooting, 3 of 4 from the 3-point line as well. 4 assists and 3 steals on the game. Uh, like you said, they rode him, and that worked out. Yeah, and it was really emblematic of how he's played and what he's meant to their team this year, right? Just kind of a tough a tough workman-like effort. You know, he's got the hole in his lip. I mean, he played the foot, what's about five, six weeks there with the with the stress fracture, stress reaction in his foot. It was obviously bothering him in, in some of those games initially very badly to where it was almost had a visible limp. But a guy that they really can't afford to take off the floor because of how invaluable he is at point guard. So a, a huge effort from him when, when they really, really needed it. So now what? They, they go to the SEC tournament. Well, we'll talk about this in a little bit more detail later on. But they go to the SEC tournament. They've got Alabama. I mean, you would like to win that one, but I mean, they're in a point now where the SEC tournament, as much as they would like to win it, doesn't really matter, does it? No, and I don't think Alabama is necessarily a very good matchup for them, and you would think that's going to be a pretty desperate Crimson Tide team trying to back their way into the NCAA tournament at the SEC tournament for the second year in a row. And so... You know, I, I kind of said on our, our podcast this morning that... Where can it, you find that podcast, by the way? You can find that at supertalk.fm, Spotify, um, What's SoundCloud, iTunes, Rebel Report. It is Rebel Report with me and Colin Brister. And we were talking about this morning as Ole Miss probably being one of the, if not the team, with the least to gain. But the more and more I thought about it, I'm not sure I necessarily buy it. They can't be hurt, obviously, by losing in there. And they literally like to go home healthy and a little bit rested. But don't I think there's something to be said for playing well heading into the SEC tournament. Because if you think about it, even if they if they lose at Alabama, that's still losing, what, five of their last six, four of their last five? For the last five, yeah. I guess. So I, I don't know. I, I think if, if overall, I think Kermit Davis would like to be healthy on Selection Sunday and preferably a little bit rested. But I do think there is something to be said for playing well. For sure. And uh, last thing before we turn the page over to Mississippi State, with Will Wade being, well, what he is at the moment, uh, SEC Coach of the Year belongs to Kermit, Kermit Davis, does it not? Yeah, I said this on Twitter on Saturday. I don't really know who will win. It doesn't, I guess, ultimately matter very much. But Kermit Davis certainly has a compelling case. I mean, he took three guards, a couple of bigs where you don't kindly know, kind of know where they're going to fit, a former walk-on in D.C. Davis, and two freshmen, and won 10 SEC games and probably, what, the best SEC in a decade. And you know, it was a team that didn't win a true road game in 2018 until March. And really changed their mentality and gave them confidence more than anything else. He tightened up how they play offensively with, with fewer wasted possessions and also a little bit more restrictions on their offensive freedom and got them to kind of believe in themselves. And really individually, he made about five or six guys the best possible version of themselves. So I don't know who's going to win. I think Calipari's got a case. I mean, Rick Barnes, I'm not sure I get the Rick Barnes argument because Tennessee was supposed to be good. That's not taking away. He's done a tremendous job, but you knew what you were going to get with Tennessee. Honestly, I don't have a vote, but I might still vote for, like, Will Wade. I think he's definitely still probably a little bit deserving, but Kermit Davis certainly compelling case. Yeah, Will Wade has just been disqualified from it, fair or not. There's no way that the SEC front office will give 
that award to that guy, even if he gets the votes. I totally agree. I think he's probably disqualified from it, too. I would like to hear an argument against Kermit, a real argument against Kermit Davis over even Rick Barnes. Uh, That's for sure. We'll turn the page over to Mississippi State next. They got a flurry of offense, especially an important game from Lamar Peters. They were surely in the NCAA tournament, but playing well in your last game of the season like that going into the SEC tournament must feel good. So we'll break that game down next at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi. Real quick on the C Spire text line, Dan in Charleston. Ask us about uh, Southern Miss basketball this weekend. They dominated a team that they were much better than. They beat the Roadrunners of Texas San Antonio by a bunch of points. 81-48 to was the final score in that game. And now Southern Miss has won eight of their last ten games going into the uh, CUSA Conference Tournament. And those two losses are by a combined eight points. They'll face either Marshall or Rice from Frisco, and that will be Thursday, uh, March 14th, in the CUSA Championship Ole Miss and Mississippi State will both make the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2002. If Southern Miss wins the Conference USA Championship, which is something that they are entirely capable of doing, they're probably, what, the second best team in the league objectively? Yeah. That will be the first time ever that all three made the NCAA tournament for the first time. A real chance for that to happen, too. A real chance. Southern is playing incredibly good basketball these past, basically for the past month. And, uh, you know, they're going to have a chance to go down there and win that tournament. And like you said, that'll be a historic, historic moment for the state if that happens. Mm-hmm. And we'll catch up with uh, Luke Johnson tomorrow for a, a more in-depth analysis on that dominating win over the Road Runners on Saturday. We'll turn the page to Mississippi State. And I don't mean to put it this way, an inconsequential game if you're talking about their tournament resume because they were in. Um, but still they scored 92 points and Lamar Peters went off and it's good to see him back. And Mississippi State ends the season on a high note. Yeah. A good senior day for Mississippi State. Uh, came out shooting the ball really, really well throughout the game. Uh, I think what shot over yeah, 52% for the game, 47% from three. Anytime you hit 16 three-pointers, it's going to be tough to beat you. Um, four different players in double figures, and we're able to survive an off day from Reggie Perry, who just just didn't play well. He was only seven points and, and six rebounds. And, in fact, I mean, that's, a, that's an off day. He still had six boards. Uh, State, you know, just – controlled the game from the offensive standpoint. Now, defensively, they didn't play particularly well. Gave up 81 points, uh, allowed A&M to shoot 47%. So, you know, that's something that that I'm sure Ben Howell will be focused on this week in practice because it'll take a much better defensive effort to to get, you know, deep into the SEC tournament and deep into into the NCAA tournament when you get there next week. But this was the kind of game State needed. They needed to shake off the the rust and the after effects of that two-game losing streak. They lost two of the better teams in the conference, Tennessee and Auburn. But they played with great effort, and then they got what they needed on Saturday. Where did this Eric Holman come from? Oh, he's been there all along. (laughs) The better question is, where is the Eric Holman we've seen since the start of conference play until last Saturday? Where did that guy come from? Uh, because that's a guy I didn't recognize. But this guy, that's the guy I was expecting to see this year. Uh, 16 points, 9 rebounds for Holman. He got the game going with a three-pointer, and, and then on the other end got the, he got the rebound off an A&M miss, and, and, and immediately it looked like he was more engaged. He had better energy, better, better you know, he, was just, he just looked like the player he had been in the past. Now, I don't know if that's because it was senior day, because he was back in the starting lineup. They gave him the start, I think, because he was a senior, and he took advantage of that. And now you've got a real question if you're uh, – if you're Ben Hallen, because if Holman can play like that, and I asked him, you know, they brought Peters and Holman to post game, and I asked them both, it's like, 
can these performances be duplicated? Can you keep this going throughout the, throughout March? And they both said, yeah, we, we can do that. Well, if that's the case, A, Mississippi State's going to be very tough to beat. But B, with Holman, you might be better off playing sort of a smaller lineup that's all scores and letting Holman get the start over Adu. Adu didn't, didn't do much offensively. He only had uh, three points, but he got you six rebounds and three block shots. So he, you know, he made a good contribution, but... If you're going to see this kind of performance from Eric Holman, he might need to be back in the starting lineup, and I think you're better off with Holman and Perry than you are with Holman and Adu. Q Weatherspoon won an award today? Yeah, the uh, the Howell Trophy, of course named after MSU great Bailey Howell, and uh feels sort of like a career achievement award for him. Not that he wasn't the best player in the state this year. He certainly, I, thought, I think he was, leading scorer in the SEC. Um, but for him, you know, such a complicated legacy. For, for Q Weatherspoon because he's he, his numbers are great. He's he's hit a lot of big shots, but this is his first taste of real postseason success uh, coming this year when they go into the NCAA tournament. So, you know, the comparison I made on the Thunder and Lightning podcast, which you can find at supertalk.fm or, of course, anywhere you take podcasts in, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher, is that, you know, his, his legacy might be sort of similar to the 1991 basketball team at Mississippi State, which came uh, from – basically the same position from from the ashes four years before to win the SEC championship in 1991. Not that States won the SEC title, but, you know, somebody has to be the first. Somebody has to be the one who drags the program back. Q and, and Eric Holman are the guys who have done that uh, for Mississippi State, and now they've got this team into the NCAA tournament. And like I said, if, if they're going to shoot the ball like this, and, I, and they're capable of shooting like this every night, they really are. If they can do that, then they're going to be a very tough team to beat, no matter who they play uh, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, you don't want to see Mississippi State in your side of the bracket. If Lamar Peter, we've talked about it for weeks, it's not some kind of hot take. If they can get this from Lamar Peters, nobody wants to play this team. Right, I agree with that. They'll play the winner of what Vanderbilt and Texas A&M, which means they will play Texas A&M against A&M rematch. (laughs) In the SEC tournament. We'll turn the page to football next. We'll get a a little spring practice update, even though there's not really much to update you because neither team has really given us a whole lot. And then a couple stories I think uh, are interesting and I think you're going to want to know about uh, in the college football world. So that's it for the 4 o'clock hour. Sports Talk Mississippi live in the Renaissance Bank studio. Five o'clock hour on a Monday at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. And Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you this afternoon. And before we get to football, I know I promised you football. We did get a text here on the C Spire text line. In case you missed it, we spent uh, time in the three o'clock hour recapping the MSU Women's SEC Championship. And they have my parents to thank for that because right before they started the tournament, they ran into my parents in Greenville, South Carolina, and that's why they won the conference championship. So again, my Venmo is open. You can send me money and show your appreciation that way. But we do get a question in that regard. They said, hey, unfortunately, they weren't able to listen to the earlier part of the show, but they have a question about Mississippi State women's basketball. So, hey, Dad, we are asked if we think that this program, the Vic Schaefer-led Mississippi State women's basketball program, has the pieces in place to become the new Tennessee in the SEC, or is this just because of the current talent that they have and once Tierra McCowan leaves, they will kind of regress back to the mean? That's sort of a, an in-the-middle kind of question. First off, you can't be the new Tennessee until you win a national championship. That has to happen. 
You can't call yourself the Tennessee until that happens. Um, and South Carolina's not really going anywhere. They're having a little bit of a down year this year, but they had the nation's number one recruiting class coming in. I think they signed four of the top 15 players in the country for next season, so they're, they're, they'll, they'll be right back uh, in it. But this team is certainly not going anywhere either as far as Mississippi State. Like we said in the uh, in the 3 o'clock hour, you know, they bring back a lot next year in terms of production. Chloe Bibby, Chloe Bibby will be back uh, from uh, injury. Promise Taylor will be eligible after her one year sitting out from her transfer from Ole Miss. Uh, and they bring in one of the nation's top players in Rakia Jackson. So, yeah, th- that program's not going anywhere. But to make them the comment that they're the next Tennessee, they got to win that, that final game first. Fair enough. All right, let's turn the page to college football. This is your college football fix brought to you by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. A little inside baseball here. Um, As I plan the show every day, I I usually give the guys a bit of a heads up of what we're going to talk about. I I send them a a rundown, a list of notes, all that good stuff for what's coming up on the show this afternoon. I did not do this. I'm putting them on the spot a little bit. Uh, Spring football. So Ole Miss and Mississippi State are both right in the middle of spring football and we haven't talked about it much on this show. And to tell you the truth, you can blame that on me or, or believe me when I tell you, it's because we're not getting a whole lot. So you guys have been covering the teams and been to practice, but as far as news out of Oxford and Starkville for spring football, we haven't really gotten a whole lot. And for viewing periods, if you're an Ole Miss fan looking for the new offensive and defensive system, you're not really going to get a whole lot of that either right now. No, I mean, there is a lot. There's so much new going on, and they just broke for spring break. So, I mean, they got a little bit of install in, but yeah, I mean, just not a whole lot known right now. I mean, it, Rich Rodriguez, I think he got asked by somebody, I guess, in the first week, you know, if he knew what the offense was going to be look like. And he basically his answer was no. And if I did, like, why the hell would I tell you? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> he has no idea yet, kind of what things might look like. So, yeah. A lot of new. It's a long spring, though. they got a couple weeks afterward, and then obviously culminates in the Grove Bowl in April, so long way to go. Anything in Starkville? Hey, Dad. I mean, they've only had two practices. You know, Ole Miss is, I think, what, they Didn't they start, going. what, two weeks ago? No, they started It was just last week. week, okay. Yeah, and then now with spring break. And, you know, Moorhead, when you asked me about that, he said just the way, you know, it's Mississippi State, and Ole Miss is the same way with the Grove Bowl, but, you know, they have to plan around Super Bowl all weekend. Well, Super Bowl all weekend is set before they make the practice schedule. So to get the maximum number of practices in, they had to get two in before spring break. Now they'll take a week off, and they're actually going to take about a week and a half off. They won't get back on the practice field until the 21st. Uh, but talking to Moorhead, obviously, you know, he's excited. A lot of positions up for grabs. If you go to supertalk.fm, my article today about MSU's offense, the uh, the way-too-early depth chart, some preseason predictions, even though it's just uh, it's just March. But a lot of a lot of, of moving pieces around this MSU offense. I, w- I would be willing to say right now the only positions you could probably set in stone would be Kylan Hill and Daryl Williams. Everybody else, I won't be surprised if, if there's a new face or a new name there. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So – we're not just a radio show anymore. I know you've you've heard some new voices over the last few months. We added Hey Dad and Rippy, and they're not just guys that talk about more specifically Ole Miss and Mississippi State on this show. They're covering the teams on a daily beat. If you go to supertalk.fm/sports, they go to every practice. They either are at or at least cover every single game that Ole Miss and Mississippi State will play in. Supertalk.fm/sports. They are covering the team like real beat writers and also on this show every day. So supertalk.fm slash sports, completely free to you. 
no subscriptions here, and they give you full coverage like uh, your regular beat writer as well as being on this show in the afternoon. So check that out sometime. Follow them on Twitter. Uh, they share all of their articles there as well as our Twitter page at Sports Talk Miss or Sports Talk Mississippi on Facebook. You can get all that information there. So we're not just a radio show in the afternoon anymore. We are giving you daily coverage of the teams you love on our website, on our social platforms, Periscope, podcasts, everything you can think of. We're doing that for you now. It's a little bit different uh, than just a regular radio show. We have expanded uh, what we do here now. So one college uh, football story, maybe two if we have time to get to it. This is something that I wanted to bring up, though, because I think the NCAA needs to step in and make this stop. Uh, Arkansas, according to a four-star prospect out of Texas, Vernon Broughton, He's the number four defensive tackle in the entire country, the number 10 overall prospect in the state of Texas, uh, has a younger brother and a younger cousin. The cousin is in eighth grade, and the brother is in fifth grade. Arkansas really wants to get into the state of Texas so bad that they have offered a scholarship to his eighth grade cousin and his fifth grade little brother to help entice him to go to school at Arkansas. Broughton shared a photo on Twitter and said his 2023 cousin and 2026 little brother have both been offered scholarships to, to play football at Arkansas. It's not a cute story to me. I think it's absurd that you're even talking about college football to a fifth grader, and I think this practice needs to stop and needs to stop pretty soon. You know what I'm doing if I'm, if I'm this family? I'm telling that kid to commit right now. Commit. Commit as a fifth grader and make them hold true to that word. I don't care if that kid never plays a down of organized football. Commit. That's what I would do. Yeah, I just, how do you, like, in what other setting in any, like, walk of life or any other industry would be, like, trying to recruit a fifth grader not be seen as creepy and, like, borderline illegal? Like it's like I, I just I, that baffles me. How do you get in contact with the fifth grader? Does the kid have a phone yet? I would hope not. I mean, the, the day I become a parent, I don't think my fifth grader is going to get a cell phone. Uh, by then, we'll probably have technology. By the time they make it to fifth grade, to where like the government puts a tracking device in your head or something. But I mean, seriously, why is a ten-year-old? Even if if it's just a cute little thing that Chad Morris did to get a picture on social media, why are you talking to a ten-year-old about college football? A 10-year-old should be riding their bike in the neighborhood with their friends, scraping their knee, playing backyard football with a Nerf ball that is just ripped to shreds, and then when their parents make them come home for curfew, they go play Xbox with their buddies until 3 a.m. That's what a 10-year-old is supposed to be doing, not talking to a college football coach in any capacity with the exception of a cool summer camp. That's it. Not scholarships. What's next? I mean, I remember when uh, David Sills committed to USC as a seventh grader. He was a, the top quarterback in the country as a, as a junior high kid. And, of course, you know, it didn't work out for him that way, but he became a fantastic tight end for, uh, for West Virginia the past couple of years. But, you know, th- at the time when that happened, we were all like, oh, my God, a seventh grader. Kids get kid- There are kids for Mississippi State baseball that are committed right now that are in eighth grade. They're committed to play at Mississippi State. And, you know, we're, where are we going to stop? We're going to see some, you know, fourth, four-year-olds. Like that four-year-old, I, I, I can project the athleticism he's going to have at four. I the love way the, he is, the way he's stacking the rings on the on the on the cone. I know. I love that they described his class of twenty twenty six received an offer. 
Yeah. I mean, that's how it's written. That's how it's classified, is <laughs> class of 2026, a fifth grader. Only, and it's, the thing is, it's not like Arkansas has to hold to this. It's just something to entice the older brother to go to school. The older brother will go to Arkansas, if he does, play his four years of eligibility and be gone before this kid, I mean, he's even a high school recruit. So it's just, it's, it's so incredibly stupid. The NCAA needs to step in quickly because this isn't the first time. Arkansas is not the only one. Lane Kiffin has offered middle school kids. There have been middle school kids offered pretty frequently in the past. They need to put a limit at the end of their sophomore year. That's when you can start sending out scholarship offers. Stranger danger. When they're actually mentally mature or in a right spot in life to be, to be thinking on about a high college. School football team. That should just be the rule. If you're sure. not on your high school's football team, you cannot be offered a scholarship. I can get on board with that because a 10-year-old doesn't need to be talking to a college football coach about a scholarship, even if it's just for a cute social media story. It's gone too far, and they need to do something about this quickly. We'll talk Will Wade SEC basketball tournament next at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Bunch of your texts came in. That uh, Arkansas offering a fifth grader thing really struck a chord with some of you at Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you this afternoon. You can text the show 601. 601- 879-4395. It's a ceasefire text line. 601-879-4395. But please do not text and drive. Be a part of the show, but do so safely. Richard Wiggins tells a funny joke. He said, LSU offered a freak linebacker, didn't they? Wasn't he in the sixth grade? They gave him a note and told him to check yes or no. Pretty good. Quinn says he'll <laughs> try to get his mom a scholarship. Uh, that's good. These are all good. Kelso in Ocean Springs uh, gets uh, anxiety thinking about his ten-year-old playing video games until three a.m. I oh, yeah. di- I did that when you had you know, we had sunset curfew. And I guess it's a little different now, and people always tell this to me. I don't have children of my own, not yet. Uh, I don't have children of my own, so I don't know what the parent situation was like. But when I was a kid, it was you go out in the neighborhood with your bikes, and then you come home when the sun sets. And in between what you did, there was not that constant communication like apparently there is now. We had the sunset rule. But after the sun would set, I'd go right upstairs and get on Xbox Live and play Halo with a couple of buddies until, I mean, sometimes till the sun came up. And maybe that's why I didn't do so well in school. Well, I mean, this kid has to dominate the lunch table for the rest of his life, right? Like, what'd you do this weekend? Like, I stayed up till midnight. I watched a PG-13 movie. Well, I got offered a football scholarship. <laughs> Chad Morris is texting me, sending me Snapchats and DMing my Instagram. <laughs> John Hardeman says he was in eighth grade in 1980 when he started taking football seriously, but no scholarship talk until his junior year, and that's when the letters started coming in the mail. Yeah, sadly, recruiting is not just letters and formal visits anymore. It's constant text messages and phone calls. I almost say I, I admire... These 16-year-old kids who have their cell phones just bombarded all hours of the day from nine different people on these coaching staffs with text messages and phone calls and Snapchats, and I could not do it. And if I'm ever a parent of a high-profile recruit and my genes uh, tell me that I won't be, but if I, if I happen to have an athlete, 
I am not allowing coaches to call and text them whenever they feel like it. It will be a formal process because it's ridiculous uh, what these kids have to deal with uh, from middle-aged men blowing up their phone at all hours of the day. Well, good luck with that. I don't have to worry about it, I don't think. Yeah. My dad was a college athlete. I clearly was not. And uh, you see where it got me. I tried to be, but uh, just wasn't in the cards. We'll turn the page now to basketball. This this is a story that we did not get to talk about Friday. If you missed Friday's show, it, it didn't exist. Ole Miss and Mississippi State baseball took over all of our stations. Uh, and this story broke Thursday afternoon. And we got more layers into Friday morning. The the wiretap that Will Wade appeared on, we got specific details about what was on that wiretap. And then, a day later, LSU suspended him and the player that appeared on this wiretap. They played a home game. There was free Will Wade chance. There was free Will Wade signs. There was fire Joe Oliva, Joe must go chance and signs all over the PMAC there in Baton Rouge and just a bizarre turn of events in college basketball, starting with the exposure of what was exactly in this wiretap from Yahoo. It goes back to what we were talking about. You know, when, when, with LSU saying they, they were blindsided. What a load. They, they, they knew this was coming. This, he should have been suspended back in the, uh, in, in the preseason. When, they, when the words wiretap, we have your coach on tape, Talking about paying a recruit. That's got to be enough to suspend the guy right there. And maybe you take maybe you take a little bit of a beating, but probably not much of one. And your fans, the reason the fans are so up in arms is because that team is really, really good. Back in, you know, September, nobody knew LSU was going to be this good. So you, you don't have the same reaction if you do this then, I don't think. I wouldn't have suspended him for any of it. Like their whole attitude the that's, whole time. That's the other been... side of the coin, which I also agree with. Yeah, it's just the whole other time they basically, like Richard said, I think, last week, they've thrown their middle fingers in the air and been like, we'll just make it to April. And then that move suspending him goes against everything they've done for the last, what, three, four, five months, whatever it was since it came out. Yeah, it yeah. saved nothing. It, this move saved nothing because it, there, there are two outcomes. And I think we talked about this a little bit. There are two outcomes from this. One, the NCAA comes and brings the hammer. Or two, they screw it up. If one happens, which is more likely, honestly, it's more likely when you have a federal wiretap, the season is lost anyway. The season is lost anyway. They will erase everything. So you might as well just try to win as much as you can while you've got it. While you've got a fan base that will support your coach to the bitter end, while you've got a fan base that will fill up your arena and buy tickets to go to wherever NCAA tournament destination you go and win yourself a conference championship. Two is probably not going to happen, but if two happens, you're, you're home free anyway. You didn't save your season by, fi- by suspending Will Wade two days ago. You didn't save your season. And pretending like you didn't know that he was on a wiretap discussing payments to players months ago is insulting of all of our intelligence. But you've got media writing it. I mean, you've got media saying that this is new information. The front office, the SEC front office is furious at this new report. I mean, were they wearing blinders? Was their head buried into the sand? Were they on vacation for the last four months when everybody has known and talked about at length that Will Wade was on a wiretap talking about paying kids? 
What has changed from this report on Thursday? Nothing but figuring out the exact language, which, as we, we said the other day, was. sounds exactly like how you would expect it to sound. Yeah. Unless Will Wade really did just tell them, like, there's nothing on the wiretap. Or like, but well, I'm then like, they're idiots for believing it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just being naive at best. Yeah. This, this is all... This is what happens when these guys get caught with their hands in the cookie jar. They don't. They, they nobody's ever told them no in their life. They've always been, you know, this is my program and I run it my way and blah blah blah. And then when it finally comes to that point where it's like, hey, you're in trouble. Nah, I'm, I'm just not going to come in and uh, and talk to you guys. I mean, you can't do that. You can't do that. I, I, I do think, love how Will is just not saying anything. Like, hey, hey Coach, well, he we need you to come in. released a statement that nah. did not at any point say, I didn't do what's anything. I didn't. He didn't deny the charges against him. He just said, his quote was, there's a lot more, you know, they, don't, they don't tell you the whole story or whatever. And I'm just like, of course they don't tell you the whole story. That's just you talking about one guy. What did it talk, what, what about Nas <laughs> Reed? What about the rest of the guys? I mean, of course it doesn't tell me the whole story. God. This is what happens when people have this idyllic, utopian view of college athletics that it's just about amateurism and people, the people who picked your school did so because they love the family atmosphere. No! Not true! No. We get a text just, here. Just enjoy the games. We get a text here that says, uh, it came across that LSU requested Wade to come in and discuss a game plan and he denied that request. Do you think he's suspended if he goes to the meeting? Yes. I think LSU caved to pressure from the SEC office and publicly as well. The, the meeting was to tell him he was going to be suspended. They were going to do it face-to-face. He declined to show up, so they just did it over, over social media. I mean, this is the SEC telling them they have to, right? Because there's no way that Joe Oliva just now decided to suspend the coach that he knew was on a federal wiretap discussing paying players months ago, right? Right. Right, the SEC finally stepped in, yes. Yeah, I mean, it, I think they just didn't want to – like, it, they didn't want to believe it until there was overwhelming evidence that – I mean, not only did it happen, the, the, the conversation was – like, the language in it and, and the directness of it was just pretty cut and dry. <laughs> the, the saying that this player is going to make the NBA league minimum? Ugh. <laughs> but the other guy yeah. caught up in this is Sean Miller. And the another layer to this is Christian Dawkins' attorney, the guy that's going to prison, was sentenced to prison, promises to burn it all down at the trial in April. Well, you're you're about to take down two big fish. You've got Will Wade down, Sean Miller coming down, and this guy and his attorney are promising to go scorched earth on this thing. And there's more documents and there's more evidence that we know about. That's the the next layer. Will Wade is a small fish in a big pond if this lawyer delivers on the promise that he made. And he's got the resources and capability to do it. And it's a court of law. Yeah, very different. Quinn says, but this stuff doesn't happen in Coach K's world. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it definitely doesn't happen to Duke. Nope. They're signing the best recruiting class in the history of of college basketball recruiting, but that, my friend, is completely clean. Just ask him. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.